0: It's time to talk about time. Mindful Medicina aims to explore every nook and cranny of every source of human healing capacity. So we were going to find ourselves here eventually. The connection between the mind and the body has always fascinated me. This has prompted me to earn a bachelor's in psychology with a focus on neuroscience. What has also intrigued me about human psychology is not just our relationship to self and others, but our relationship with the finite resource of time. And many of you know
1: that for over a decade, I've led restorative yoga trainings, both for teachers and for serious seekers. And restorative yoga isn't just about folks laying over juicy bolsters and other comfy props and supported resting postures, because real yoga is never just about the postures. The deep path of restorative yoga is a conscious exploration of our relationship to rest and stress. It's fundamentally about healing our nervous system. And it's very empowering and encouraging to understand the mechanisms of relaxation response, but we also have to take an honest look into our own psyches to discover what drives our actions, reactions, fears, avoidance, patterns, and really, the mental and physical consequences of chronic stress from a philosophical and a scientific perspective. And when the training group starts sharing their greatest hurdles to relaxation and presence in various realms of their life, what most mentioned first is time. I bet you could do a man on the street style interview and have the same answer no matter where you went. And what is it we'll hear? I don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) But we all have the same amount. It is a limited resource and money won't buy you more. We have to deal with our relationship to time because it's certainly going to deal with us. Stress is finally being recognized as the source of over 90% of chronic illness in the body and mental and emotional capacity also diminish, and one simply isn't present for life and love when there's so much stress. Things feel numb, and we're going to talk about more of all of this. But without further ado, I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Andrew Hartman. He developed the Time Boss model, and Andrew's a very special type of healer. He's one of the most emotionally intelligent men I've ever known, and he understands human nature and the process of growth to a profound degree. Andrew helps time-strap knowledge workers, executives, and entrepreneurs wrangle the chaos and get more from the time they have while maintaining mental health, and and I'm sure as well as the mental health of their families and loved ones. He has a personal healing testimony to share about all of this, and I'm going to let Andrew tell us more about his work. The last thing I will say, the favorite thing about Andrew Hartman, is that he is my brother.
0: Welcome to the Mindful Medicina podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeanette DeNiels. I'm a naturopathic medical doctor on a mission to inspire a renewed confidence in the intelligence of the human body. And joining the conversation today is my friend and colleague, Janelle Hartman lymphatic and colon hydrotherapist, esteemed yoga teacher of teachers, and the co-producer of this show.
1: Andrew Hartman, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, where, where are you joining us from?
2: I am in Irvine, California, in Orange County.
1: Ah, behind the orange curtain.
2: Yes, a rainy day in Orange County, though. Not, not the normal weather down here.
1: Oh, Now, Andrew, um, you have developed this Time Boss model. Fascinating. You want to tell us about your work?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would it be helpful to start with how I developed it or, how, or what the model actually is? What's good for you?
1: You know, I think it'd be great to lead with your personal story around yeah. how it came to be.
2: Yes, uh, that's great. So I have spent my career in early stage software companies, which are very high paced environments, uh, high demands. You have to move very quickly. There's, you only have so much money, you're going to run out of time. So lots of, lots of uh, environments that are ripe with uh, anxiety and stress. And so at 27, as I was just getting started with this, I was just lost in stress and anxiety. I had deadlines upon deadlines I had no systems to deal with the amount of things that were coming at me. And the result of that, after seasons of sleepless nights, waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, um, sometimes waking up almost feeling like I was um, having a hot flash. uh, I woke up one morning and I didn't have a sense of smell. And for six months, I had no sense of smell. Uh, I could not taste food Mm -hmm. Uh, and I am, Uh, as a fellow Hartman, you know, Janelle, we are (laughs) lovers of food and, uh, it was, it was just a really painful experience. And it was a, it was an eye-opening moment for me. It cannot go on like this. I cannot live this way. And it really began me on a journey. I didn't set out to build a model called time loss. I set out to survive. Mm -hmm. I just, I could not contend with life being like that. Um, I was just starting to have young kids I had a marriage that I was very interested in keeping. <laughs> and, uh, and I just decided that there's got to be a way. There's got to be a way for me to be effective and contribute to the things I believe in while still maintaining my mental health and sanity. Those two things must be true. And all I saw were people that were grinding themselves to death, burnout, grind, burnout, grind. Mm-hmm. Or I saw people that were so committed to their own mental health that they weren't effective in any way and really contributed. And I, I just thought there's got to be a middle ground. There's got to be a way for, for both of these things to be true. And so, like I said, it began a, really it's been a 15 year process to bring me to uh, ultimately what I've come to call the time boss model. And time boss is really all about how do I contribute at the highest sustainable pace that I could run at forever while maintaining my mental health. Um, so it's both contribution and a sense of connectedness and peace and, um, and wholeheartedness to the moment mm-hmm. that doesn't require sideways emotions like fear or anxiety or greed or anger or stress to be the fuel that's driving you to make that contribution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Andrew, um, you mentioned in um, some of your social media posts that you have manage to write a book with your daughter and design a board game with your son. There's all these amazing things happening in your family life while you are at this very efficient level with your work. And that's really inspiring. You want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, it was, um, what I realized was most people approach their week without a real plan or recipe to how they're going to get done what they want to get done. They just, they find themselves within their week. Maybe they handled their calendar. Maybe they didn't. Um, and the thing that drives their decision-making is anxiety. And actually I think they become people to become addicted to anxiety. There's a phenomenal dopamine drip available every time you relieve anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so if you simply put out the, hottest fire around you, you'll feel great for a moment. And then you turn to the next fire and you put it out. And then you turn to the next fire and you put it out. And what I realized was it it ultimately wasn't serving me. I was never working on the things I actually wanted to work on. Oftentimes other people's goals were just driving my world. And it was other people's fires that they were setting in front of me. And so I had this really fascinating moment where I thought, you know, if I just decide for myself what's going to happen next week and then I do anything I can to protect my time. I'm pretty sure those things will happen. And that's 100% what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even the idea of time boss comes out of this idea that when we plan, we are our own boss. And when we make things happen, we're the employee. And so if I had employees that I was trying to help make things happen, I would give them really extreme clarity of what I want to have done. And I would make sure that they were resourced to make that thing happen. I would make sure that they had the time. I would make sure that they had the uh, space. I would make sure there weren't other distractions coming in to take their time. And I would have very high expectations. If I did that, I would have very high expectations of them completing that work. And so the model developed where I thought, I'm just going to treat myself like my own employee. On the front end of a week, I'm going to plan really specifically about what is it that I want this future Andrew to get done And how do I help future Andrew set up to be successful? And so I didn't really have a great formula when I started. I just had a commitment to future Andrew. And then over time, over this weekly process, I just iterated and iterated and iterated until I found a way to do it where I got to the end of the week and I thought, holy smokes, we just made so many things happen. And I felt present and at peace that entire time. There was no stress or anxiety. And I ran circles around everyone around me. And it was a real kind of, Wow, what just happened moment. You know, it's kind of like when you talk you touch the third wire for the first time and you think, "Oh, something's different here." Like <laughs> it's significant. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this is so, where the there's a a phrase that I keep seeing you use in your body of work is peaceful progress, which is amazing because right? it's like the method and the mission all connected.
2: Yeah. Yep. Peaceful
1: progress. When did it hit you that that was kind of like your your phrase?
2: You know, I when I began to Lean into this. The first thing that I got was progress. Mm-hmm. So when I when I did the work as a time boss to look at future Andrew and say what does he need or how do I how do I set him up to be successful, I got really good at going really fast and actually burnt out worse after I developed that half of the model. You know, we can get into that if it's if it's this has been tested on an animal. Yeah, <laughs> it's Like two. on a, a very. <laughs> <laughs> a very hairy animal named Andrew. Um, yeah. So I, as it developed, I, I got really good at figuring out how to go fast. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I would say I actually burnt out in a different way. I, I formerly burnt out from being overwhelmed. And then I burnt out from just trying to do too much. I was running at a pace that was not sustainable. And so I was incredibly effective and I was getting so many Attaboys and encouragements and strokes from those around me for the progress I was making, but I kept burning out. And that's when I had that moment of, um, okay, there's got to be another way. Mm-hmm. Like there's got to, I, I have to simply develop the strong conviction that anxiety and stress and fear cannot be the fuel that are going to drive me. And if those, if I set a boundary on those, if that is a boundary condition to my success, what falls out of that? And it, it really, that's when the idea of peaceful progress came along. It's I, I want to contribute. I'm not a sit on your hands guy. Like I see issues in the world and I want to do something about it, but I don't want to lose my mind in that process. And so the, the analogy that really came to me was peaceful progress. I want to be the most peaceful person everyone knows, but I want to crush results for the things that I believe that I want to contribute to. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, um, growing businesses and making time of money or anything like that. I'm talking about um, being present for my kids and writing a book with my daughter or building a game with my son or leading a ministry through our church where we help uh, children of families that are going through really intense crisis. And how can we grow the number of families that are supporting that? You know, it's, I think each of us has a unique contribution that is burning inside of us. And I simply want time boss to be the way that we clear space for that to happen, where the progress can happen, but it happens uh, on the rails of peace, not on the rails of anxiety or fear, or I must do this to feel good about myself, or I'm not good enough unless I achieve these results. Throw all that away. Mm-hmm. Why does your, plug into why your contribution matters and let that be the fuel that drives you.
1: Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you really touched on something very important is the values, the values at the foundation, because I mean, Lord knows in this culture, um, you know, you, you mentioned the attaboys and the, just this feeling of maybe a diminished self-worth is really what's driving the ship for so many people. It's not really right. coming from this place, this holistic place of really just like being in your purpose. And in the yogic world, we call it the Dharma. It's a Sanskrit word, just means right. the purpose that God gave you, the gifts that God gave you.
2: Exactly. And,
1: um, and so, um, I just think it's, it's, so important because you're going to find a lot of programs that are actually coming from that other end where it's just results, results, results. They're not talking about families. They're not talking about spirit and really to take the, the mental or the, um, the mental health and the um, physiological health and connect them. When we're in that state, we actually can't feel our spirit. We cannot feel those things. And in fact, I mean, and then it gets to a, a certain point too, where when the, the body is under that kind of chronic stress. And, of course, the mental, you know, your, your mind is always interpreting, right? It's always interpreting. And so if the mind is stressed, the body starts to go haywire. And even things like you, the diminished smell that you had, like not able to smell, the tink, those, those um, autonomic responses you were having. Um, Jeanette, what do you think? I mean, we thought that was really interesting.
0: To well, part of your story. yeah, we definitely, the first thing that comes to my mind is that when we're in a sympathetic tone or, you know, fight, flight, uh, right. really you're in a place where you aren't safe to consume food, right? You're not going to sit and eat a meal, right? So we turn off the parasympathetic, which would wow. be a part of that is... You know the the sense of taste, you know, and yeah. smell, right? So it's saying, look, it we're in so much danger here. We're not even going to allow you to even taste what you're eating because we don't want you to have any desire for it,
2: right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's fascinating. You know, we talk a lot in the program. Uh, so time boss, the, I should haven't mentioned this yet, but the expression of time boss is small group. Uh, coaching cohorts, and so four to six individuals that are um, typically <laughs> typically on the side of grind. They're on the side of near burnout, and they're they're really looking for a solve there. And what we talk about often is the uh, connection b- between thoughts, feelings, and actions. And so, uh, to your point, Doctor Daniels, for me, I had a thought that I was in danger, and that if I didn't perform. I mean, truly, I thought I would die, I would lose my job. You know, there's so many, so many lies that were driving my thinking. And that feeling made me feel overwhelmed and fearful. And the action that I took out of that feeling was I just have to go. I just have to go, 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 go until I don't feel this way anymore. And every time I completed that loop, I reinforced that loop. And I kept running and kept running and kept running it to the point where I just felt um, in danger all the time, you know, waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats. I, I would have post-it notes next to my bed with scribbles on it because I was managing projects in my dreams and thinking I needed to catch all these details. And what needed to happen, I mean, part of that change to your point, Janelle, was I I needed to realize that at the beginning of the day, at eight a.m. when I sat down to start work, I was fully loved, lacking nothing, mm-hmm. and there was nothing that I was going to go get that day. That was going to make me more loved Mm -hmm. and there was nothing that I was going to go get that day that was going to make me more safe or anything like that and it was a ritual of again if you start with in that equation thought feeling action I had to change my thoughts and at the beginning my feelings were still I'm overwhelmed and scared and I'm going to die you know all those things but because my thoughts were more oriented towards this openness and I am, I am fully loved. I lack nothing. My actions were much more positive. And if I can complete that loop, even if my feelings are right, if I can complete that loop with, with open-handed loving, empowering thoughts and positive actions that reinforce that it ultimately reinforces the right thoughts It essentially short circuits your emotions. And as you start running that loop in that fashion, eventually I actually believed that I was fully loved and lacking nothing. And then the thoughts were accurate and the thoughts, feelings, and actions were all accurate. And it reinforces and reinforces to where now I don't, I mean, tomorrow morning, I've been able to be present with my family on weekends. Tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and, and truly, part of the benefit of the time boss model is I literally have no clue what I'm going to do at 8 a.m. But at 8 a.m. it's going to come to me because I've set up a system that can bring me those priorities when the time comes. Um, I don't feel any sense of like, golly, I got to perform to feel love tomorrow morning. It's all contribution. It's all, I am doing this because I believe deeply in the work and I want to see it move forward. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just such a gift, but I can't reinforce enough. Um, (laughs) Everything we want is on the other side of challenge. It was such a effort of will to to retrain my thoughts and emotions to bring me to this point through reps and reps and reps of doing that work. It's not a, it's not a light switch we turn. And that for me is why Time Boss became a cohort because I I kept training people and they kept falling down after a couple of days doing it on their own. And I realized there needs to be an accountability structure to this. People have to get reps in, in the context of a community that's encouraging them and supporting them, where they begin to look at the friction as the way and not friction as information that they're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. You live your whole life a certain way. You are going to have, I mean, it's like how we are with money. We just build up these habits around how we relate to time and to money that often take a lot of work to deconstruct and then build back up in a way that's ultimately healthy and empowering. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it sounds like a heck of a lot better fuel in the tank than the oh, alternative.
2: <laughs> it's such a gift. Every yeah. day is a gift. Yeah. I mean, things are still hard. You still hit challenges, but... You know, it's it's like my marriage. I, My wife, Kelly, and I have such a rich marriage. And we absolutely have friction. But friction is the way. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is the expectation that we will have moments that we have to work through. But the gift is the relationship. And mm-hmm. it's the same with the work. Once you are connected to the contribution, the friction is the way. You should just anticipate it. Entropy is the way of the universe. Everything is breaking down and coming for us. Mm-hmm. And if you can orient yourself and even expect it, it becomes the path and it becomes a gift, something for you to work through, an adventure, a, a hill to climb.
0: Okay,
1: this is a side note, but it's something that, that lit me up lately when I, I heard this. So um, Jordan Peterson does a really deep analysis of, especially like he's kind of going through the Old Testament right now. And he actually um, said that, that the name Eve, um, the kind of the first wife, uh, that the deep translation of that name is beneficial adversary. Mm. Mm. A beneficial adversary,
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like there's love, but
1: it helps the refining aspect. I just thought that was so beautiful when you were talking about your marriage. Yeah, yeah. It's. Mm -hmm. I
2: I think that that reflective process, you know, the time boss runs around this idea of reflection and course correction, and it's just and it's the fundamental assumption is it's going to be hard. You know, the (laughs) fundamental assumption is there's going to be challenge, and you know, even as I raise my kids. I feel like the most important thing that I can stall on them is become friends with reality and then course correct towards the life that you actually want to live. Mm -hmm. And time boss is just a a time in general is just a venue for that to happen. But that's all areas of our life. I mean, even every practice you all have talked about on your um, podcast is a function of that. It's name the best life that you believe you should live. And then how do you course correct to align to that best life? I'm simply trying to do that in the context of time which is the currency by which everything happens. So it's, but I think it's, I think it's all the same habits in practice.
1: I want to circle back, Andrew, to your community model. And this is something where I know that probably Dr. Daniels will probably have some things to say about too. Um, And we're going to come back to this understanding that we have of the vagus nerve in our body Mm. and the polyvagal theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but, we, but the vagus nerve um, is one of the cranial nerves that comes down and moves through uh, the esophagus and out into the lungs and into our digestive tract. And it regulates respiration, heart rate, also our emotional responses and our stress response, okay? And so mm-hmm. all of that is really governed um, by this nerve. And there, they said that there's these three different modes. And the, one of them is the one that's the most regulated is safe and social where it allows us to actually be in a relaxed state where we can relate to other human beings and other human mm. beings actually help to regulate us. So just mm. being, being in communication. So your model, you know, employs this where you started to see a lot of functionality when you started getting people together for right. that type of connection. Another aspect of Vickster um, of when it goes out of regulation is that you can get into that frantic state where you're saying really just kind of, I know you've used the language in some of your writing, like digging, the digging, yeah. and the and the franticness, um, and uh, ver- lots of anxiety, uh, and everything is kind of upregulated, and then the body starts to to go into this state, which is the other side which is more of the freeze. So we know the fight or flight, right? But then the freeze is actually, they call it the primal parasympathetic. Sometimes people lump in fight, flight or freeze together, but the freeze oh. is actually a deeper state of the parasympathetic where the body starts to shut down these um, the basic processes and, you know, turning down your um, the senses as you discussed, but your reproduction, your immune system, but also it actually diminishes your awareness and it, it, it starts to uh, affect your just being present in your life. It's very numbing. Right. It creates a numbing yeah. effect. Now this is a lot of times when people feel overwhelmed, what do they want to do? They want to quote unquote, veg out, right? They go right. into the TV. They just kind of like go into food, go into something that just keeps diminishing and making things a little bit more paralyzed, more paralyzed. And, um, and, and, So this can be a really tough pattern, especially because I know when we're talking about time, we got to talk about procrastination, right? (laughs) Because a lot of people think it's a discipline problem and all this. Yeah, there may be components of that. But when you're overwhelmed and you go into this freeze state, you have less capacity to actually then want to take care of the things that need to happen. And then, of course, in comes guilt and shame. Which then further overwhelms, and and just like that upward spiral you were just describing, we got this downward spiral then, where people just kind of keep putting off and off, and comes, keeps getting more and more overwhelmed. Um, right. But I'd like to I like to look at that from the perspective of the nervous system, and so the ventral vagal is the one that's the connects to um, kind of our, our safe and social. That's really about even the gestures in our face are governed by this, the way that we. Um, the way that we move our mouths and recognize these signals from other people. Um, but then the dorsal vagal is where we get into more of the amygdala, which is that part of the brain that is really registering, you know, for the stress, for that re- reptilian part of the brain. And the dorsal vagal is the one that kind of starts to dysregulate us down into that place. And, you know, I've, I feel like God was an amazing has an amazing plan. The way we were created, a lot of it is about if you were in a survival situation and your life was in danger, you would have a lot less pain if yep. you were able to not feel much. Right. It's almost like, and also, um, uh, it, you can see it in possums and stuff. They play dead so that they can survive, right? right. So there's mm-hmm. just like, you know, it's not a glitch. But um, that dorsal vagal dysregulation is what brings people, I think, into that paralyzed, numb place. And it's easy to snap into that. I mean, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Um, yep. But I thought, you know, Jeanette, if you have anything to mm.
0: I think that everybody you know will have their default of what part of the I guess stress response that they will have and at some point once we you know when we dive into hand analysis we could talk about different fingerprint types in um, epigenetics, and you can see that, you know, your arches are going to respond differently than a whorl, for example.
2: Which are um, patterns
0: of in the yeah, fingerprint, fingerprint itself. So mm-hmm. it's like, really it is the nervous system that is different between each person, and that is what will basically sort of help one, identify how they respond in a stress response. So, yeah. I mean, you'll see, you'll, yeah, it's interesting, and here's a great example of how one person is different from another person. You can say, hey, you know, because I do IV, so I'm always like one of those people who are asking, hey, do you faint when you give blood? Or, do you, you know, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you receive IV? Do you need to sure. recline? Because there are people who will pass out, yeah, right? yeah. Okay, so now that's what we're talking about on, you know, that you know, vagus nerve being paralyzed, making you paralyzed um, all senses and, and states of being. So, um, and then somebody else will say, no, I'm totally just fine. Actually, I just want to sit closest to the door so I can run. <laughs> so, um, so in that example, you know, you can see how people will differ on that vagal response based on their nervous oh. system imprinting that they came in with in utero. So, right.
2: mm-hmm. I think what's really so fascinating, I I feel like I'm learning so much even as you guys talk, I think what's fascinating is uh, it is so much a game between your ears of how you interpret the work that's coming at you. Because truly, you know, I work with, so I primarily work with knowledge workers, which is a vast majority of the economy at this point. You know, most people work in a job where they don't have a widget they're knocking out, where if they knock out 10 of those widgets at the end of the day, they can go home, which is not how it works. They have email and they have meetings and they have projects with various definitions of what done means. And there's, there's all of these things that pile up for them. And so even for me at 27, my experience of stress and the activation process that you were just describing was a lie. It wasn't true. It was a, it was a misinterpretation of a just sheer ton of information that I simply had no way to deal with it. And we just aren't—we just aren't trained for these amount of things coming at us. And so, part of what I'm trying to—I mean, really, my thesis is: you need a system, and once you have a system, you need to see what's left over in you. So, it's actually fairly—believe it or not—it's fairly easy to solve people's issues with time management. I don't think it's hard. It's very simple systems. Simply have incredibly emergent value. The problem is that the negative patterns of thinking that people have related to work is what leads to the response that you described. They have a fundamental belief that there's not enough time. If you have a fundamental belief that there's not enough time, you will be in a fight or flight response all the time, every time another task comes into your world. If you have a fundamental belief, hey, there is enough time, I just need to be judicious with it, you'll you'll allow things to come in knowing that you have some type of triage process to decide what you're going to actually work on, what aligns with your values and doesn't align with your values, what aligns with the contribution you're trying to make and doesn't. When I prioritize time to write a book with Emma or to sit down with Luke every night and be present for us to build this board game together, I knew the things I was actively saying no to. So as they came at me, I'm like, you know what? That's That's not something I'm going to do right now. And certainly that has costs and implications and whatever. But I had trust in uh, my system. I had trust in my recipe where no fight or flight response was, was kicking on. I, I had right thinking about time that allowed me to have a right response to it. So um, it's really, it's fascinating. It, it really is fascinating. The primary thing I do when someone's overwhelmed, I say, just write it all down.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Just get it into a single list and the, without fail, when that happens, people will say, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was
1: mm-hmm.
2: because know, it's, it's their inability to process at that level of information.
1: That was something that I got listening to one of your videos, um, one of the meetings that you held, um, <laughs> I immediately employed this and it was fantastic, which is like all the lists that I have all over. And I right. put them into that one spot. Yeah. And it just it's interesting too. like, um, you know, there's a lot to say about simplicity, but it just Perimeters. And you 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 were kind of just describing that too. Right. Perimeters create safety. Yeah. Hearing absolutely. no
2: from yourself,
1: trusting yourself to then respond. 100%. I mean, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. I, you know, you think about it. I so I do um I do coaching around time boss. I do these groups. I also have a full-time job. I also am trying to be a dad and trying to be a husband and be present in my community, lots of things. But I in my full-time work i've said i'm not going to work more than 45 hours a week mm. and what's really interesting about that you know as an employer and i i'm a leader within my organization if someone came to me and just said that very bluntly very plainly i'm like well what if we need you to or what if something comes up but what's fascinating when you have a philosophy is i fix 45 hours and when you do that it requires you to upgrade everything that's happening within those 45 hours if you're holding your contribution constant. If I want to see this world exist, then I have to actually improve what's happening within the context of those 45 hours. And if I have lists everywhere, I will immediately feel overwhelmed because I will not know what to do within that time. And so if you can get everything to a single list, you can say, okay, within this context of time, every, within these 45 hours, this is the list for those 45 hours. All of these things compete. Which of these is going to manifest the contribution I actually want to make? Mm -hmm. And how do I judiciously say no to the rest of them? Because I have to, I have to believe in my contribution and and fight for it. And so anything, you know, to your point, Janelle, anything in your world, you know, my, my non-working time, I, I, I commit that amount of time to where I work. That's part of my agreement with them. But in my non-working time, the rest of that time all competes with itself. So If I choose to write a book with Emma, that means I'm not working on Time Boss. If I choose to work on Time Boss, that means I'm not spending time with Luke. If I spend time with Luke, it means I'm not spending time with Kelly. We live this lie that we can be all things to all people and we can't. Mm -hmm. And so my thesis is, if you are the boss of your time, make the decisions on the front end. Draw the priorities, get it to your calendar. Feel all the feels like, oh, gosh, I wish I could do this and that. I wish I could be superhuman. I wish I could do all the things you can't. So if you can localize those feelings to that planning process, work your way through them and then set it aside. And then just 8 a.m. tomorrow when it shows up, your boss made a decision for you. Just make the thing happen. It is, it's hard to describe. It's so freeing. Imagine if you had a, um, a mentor who knew you perfectly, everything about you, no lacking information. And that mentor, she would come along and every day she'd be like, Janelle, I plan this day for you. I know your values. I know what you want to be true just do this don't think about anything else just do this it would be the greatest gift <laughs> in the world who can i pay to do this for me mm-hmm. and that's the, i mean truly it's that simple that's all time boss is is you know yourself intimately you know the contribution you want to make you know the world you want to make happen you're simply prioritizing that on your calendar and then you're giving yourself permission you're doing the work ahead of time to eliminate the things that would distract you from that and just make that contribution happen.
1: So when you're doing intake with people that are um, coming to you with this, do you have them sit down and actually form intention? Do you get help people get clear with this aspect? Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So it's two things. One, it's um, it's what, what are you trying to unlock? What's the gap? Mm -hmm. Because everyone has to have a gap. If you don't have a gap, you don't need a program called time boss. You know, you don't, you know what I mean? If you're good to go, like keep rolling. Don't Mm -hmm. let me get in the way. Mm -hmm. So I'm at, I really want to understand their gap. And then I have them track for two weeks uh, every 15 minutes of their day. And it is, imagine if you never looked at your credit card statement before and you suddenly looked at your credit card statement. <laughs> I like to say that time, time boss, we, paid, we begin to pay with cash and we're cutting up the time credit cards because it's just real. Like People are not aware how much of their life they spend on mm-hmm. YouTube, Netflix, eating. Um, all, so many sideways things, how many other people's priorities they're advancing besides their own. Um, mm-hmm. and doing that assessment really creates this sober moment of, okay, I already felt a gap coming in. Now I am aware of the challenges that I'm presenting myself. What am I going to do about it? And when you can ramp motivation, you can overcome challenge because you need, you need that motivation to be high because they are going to experience friction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we just had a gentleman in his 60s in my last time boss cohort. He lived for 60 years into some pretty crazy habits. And he said in the cohort, he said, before I started, I, w- I truly bl- believed I was hopeless around time management. I would never get it. It just wasn't a thing that, that me as a human would ever have in my life. And in six weeks in a time boss cohort, He's like, I have hope. I feel like I have a structure that makes sense for me to make things happen. And again, it's not—it's not rocket science. It's very simple habits. The challenge is in the application of the habits and getting over that hump. And so that's where I really want to—I really want to drive motivation that helps people work their way through that challenge.
0: Do you ever have any cases where you're contending with someone who actually sees time as an enemy? Oh yeah, I'm fighting against it in and it owns my life. 100%.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, that's such a great question, Dr. Daniels. I'm so sorry, do you, do you prefer to go by Dr. Daniels, or I want to call you by your oh, name you prefer?
0: That works for me. There are other, okay. other names, but we can't well. say them here. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, Because we'll you, you, you have to um, contend with people who have sort of felt like, me managing my time better means I actually have to show up and I actually have to be an adult and take responsibility. So there's sort of a subconscious, you know, reward or payoff for not managing your time.
2: Yes. Anxiety relief is the greatest drug in the world. And if you just let the system break down to when everything's on fire, you will feel dopamine hit after dopamine hit after dopamine hit as you put out fires and you will make no contribution to the things you actually care about. Yeah, I, I fully affirm what you said. Um, and I the, the language that I use is, uh, time is actually really irrelevant. You can have people that um, are way out of bounds on how they're living their life, working 10 hours a week. And you can have people that are uh, the greatest time boss in the world working eighties hours a week, and it really comes down to your orientation to the work mm-hmm. if you are um, if it is happening to you, you are a convict like you are you have created a time prison for yourself if you are fully present to it, if you are connected to it in your operating conviction, you could work i mean it's it's your it's your life it's your choice you define it so for people, we have had people come into our cohorts where they are absolute convicts. Um, they have worked themselves into a job that it. They have a mortgage. They have um, commitments. They're a. They are a business owner where they have. They feel they have no choice. And the first thing I say is, you either fundamentally believe you have a choice and you have agency to move forward, or you really should just drop out and keep living that life. Because if they don't believe they have agency, and they don't believe they have a choice to continue to, to live the way they've been living or live different, then they can't make a change. They have to be fully responsible for their life. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of people are not sure what they want to do with their lives. And so then that adds complexity to time and your relationship to it. I mean, the number one relationship that you have to a thing is time. Uh, Exactly, It is your primary relationship. It is Right. And everything you do is an exchange of time for X, Y, and Z. Right. right? And so in a 24 hour period, I'm maybe sleeping, you know, God willing for some people, eight hours. Okay. You know, and then, you know, if you're doing a nine to five, you've got another eight accounted for. There's really one third left of your life. Right. For outside things. And so I think it's so critical to come to an understanding of what you feel is your purpose or your contribution as a soul I agree. here. I agree. And then I actually think that if you can actualize that, that time is no longer an enemy, Right, it's a friend. Absolutely. And you're excited about it and you don't have to choose or find the choices to be so challenging because you can't wait to do them. So where you come in is like, you know, I think really my hat's off to you because I think that you're going to find that you're meeting people who have other layers to unpack, life purpose issues, uh, you know, traumas, or, you know, all of those things and maybe not feeling they have anything to offer or any value to them and so right. it's like okay fine here's this time and here's here here's me i'm here ready to help you manage it but what do you want to do with it,
2: exactly. <laughs> it i mean so, it's fascinating and there's a there's a guy i'm coaching personally right now who freed up probably 15 hours of his week through really simple changes. Again, it's, it's, it's just, I, I wish it was rocket science. I, I, I probably, would probably be much more profitable if it was rocket science, but it's very simple. It's just an applied set of very simple habits. And he had a real moment of like, okay, what am I going to do with all this time? Like, mm. because it's to live on purpose with contribution. It, it is a brave moment. It's a brave thing to say, this is who I am. And this is my role to play. Um, and, and I really agree with you. There's a lot of people that don't know that. I, I think, I mean, what's interesting is I don't think this model works unless you have a preferred future, a best mm-hmm. life that you're driving towards, or even to your point, saying out loud, I don't know what it is, but it's my desire to figure that out. So, you know, if I were to sit with someone that is in that spot, and let's say they work a nine to five, they can't control their time and their are nine to five, and they want to figure out what their purpose is, what the contribution they want to make, I would say, okay, let's make a list of things that we can do to help you get there. Let's, let's interview 20 people that you respect. Let's read biographies of people in history that you've really felt like they made a contribution that resonated with you. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, that's so much time. When am I going to do that? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Okay, let's, let's get into it. You know, how, how, what would be the first activity if you were going to find 20 people to interview? Well, I probably need to make a list. Okay. Let's, let's put an hour on your calendar Monday night at 6 PM when you get home from work and let's make a list of the people that you're going to interview. And you realize like if if you have, you just have to have some uh, hint of a preferred future that, that sense of doneness that you're driving towards. And you can work backwards on what I call just discrete tasks. And those are the things, I mean, that's the currency of our life is the one to four hour things that we give our life to, to advance the future that we want to have. And so if you can help someone get to even just a few of those discrete tasks and start um, putting them on their calendar and completing them, you start this cycle of, oh, wow, I can state a preferred future and I can put it on my calendar and that thing, and I can protect it and that actually happens. Oh, I want to do that more. I want to, maybe I want to interview a couple more people. Oh, gosh, like I've got 20 hours this month to make this thing happen. What if I... What if I just started calling, you know, really famous people and asking them if they'd give me five minutes of their time? Who knows what would happen? You know, it just, it starts this, you just, again, just that little semblance of a preferred future. Some people really have a big vision, but either way, once you get to that, you can help them work backwards on those discrete tasks that are going to help them move their contribution Mm -hmm. forward. But if you don't have that to yeah. your point and, and you don't believe it's possible, you're never gonna get there.
0: Right. Yeah. That has to be that has to be a part of the recipe. Um yeah. for sure. That makes yeah. sense. And these absolutely. it's like these steps at a time onto your own hero's
1: journey. There is this need we have for some feeling of adventure. Yeah. And, you know, it's absolutely. just and it's just this one step at a time. And like recently I just heard this great saying, it's like, um, a lot of a little is so much more than a little of a lot, right? You know, like, it's just like, like these little, little things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just these little reps that build that muscle. And, and then you, I think it's so incredible in those moments of overwhelm when we can meet it with that curiosity about who we are, what's the plan for us? Like what's the, and then have these concrete actions. And, you know, I love that there's so much about what you are offering here is actions because Coming back to the nervous system, our physiology does not respond to English language. It just doesn't. People will say like, okay, all right, Janelle, calm down. All right, like get it together. Like Your it does body's the opposite typically. Like I don't talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really these things and and so, you know, as a yoga teacher, I like to give people tools like how do we use the breath to communicate right. with the body and bring that bridge between the body and the mind? How do we use the breath? How do we use some postures? How what are what are some of the things that we can do? Um right. and so um, I just think it's really powerful. There's just so much action that you're leading people into to start to create that harmony, you know, yeah. and it's important because yeah. we can, you know, there's so much talk, 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 but that's just right. one part of it. It's like, what are you going to do? Your move.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, when I was, you know, I always just come back to this meme of my 27 year old self. I so much of time Boss is built for that kid. You know, if I, could have welcomed that guy into a cohort. I just, I just needed come a community to show me a different way. Mm-hmm. And um, if you think back to him, he was, he was losing his sense of smell because he cared so deeply for the people next to him. And he cared deeply for the clients he was working for. And he didn't know what to do. He was, I, I just get emotional thinking about that guy. He was, he was so lost, but it was a hint of him. It was a hint of the true him. And what would have been the wrong thing was to shut that down entirely. The right thing was to say, okay, these emotions are information about something going on. What is is the deepest truth here that I need to put a death grip on and not let go? And what are the things that I need to jettison? And I needed to hold tightly to, I want to stand in the gap for people. I want to be a shortcut for people, a cheat code for people. That is so true about me. The whole Time Boss thing... Came out of that. But I, I needed to, I needed to, a little bit of minor surgery <laughs> over a long period of time to dissect, okay, what is the part that is good here that needs to be honored? And what's the part that needs to be set aside? It's kind of, are you familiar with the internal family therapy model? I've mm-hmm. uh, heard of this. Oh, it's just the idea of multiple people live inside of us. And there just was a, mm-hmm. there was this like loving, enthusiastic kid who just wanted to reach out and care for people. <laughs> and, And there was this stressed out, fearful other part of me that was driving the ship. And I just needed to tell that guy, hey, we're going to be okay. We're not going to die. Here's a system we can adopt that's going to help us make sense of this. Let's let that kid who loves people and cares about people and wants to sacrifice on their behalf. Let's give him a little bit more room. And let's give him some tools to actually make that contribution to the world. So it was, to your point, it just... It's not about just shutting down and telling ourselves to just be different. It's deciding the type of life we want to live and sometimes making the, the tough, action-oriented decisions to move in that direction, if nothing else, just to vote to become that kind of person. James Clear in Atomic Habits talks about that. Sometimes we have to take the action first before we feel it mm-hmm. to vote to become that type of person. And I think this is absolutely that. I wanted to be the type of person that contributed to people and care for people and was a cheat code for people. But I had to, I had to get some structure in place that would actually help me make that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a difficult time for humanity, I think, to, um, come out of our circadian, meaning we're no longer being governed by the seasons yes. f- to help us make decisions. Now we're right. governed by tasks and our, you know, Am I going to date myself if I say Palm Pilot? Is that a thing anymore? But anyways, <laughs> so it's like I've got I've got this list of to do. I've got these post its of to do, and it's like that is not how we were meant to oh. live. We were meant to live and be governed by the the seasons and what they demanded of us, right. not what our computer or our agenda demands of us. So it's like we need to have a little bit of. Um, you know, tenderness for ourselves because right. we are actually out of rhythm, I believe, by living this way, but this is right. what we've got and we've got all this technology and these things that are supposed to free up our time. And yet, holy moly, does anybody have any, right? And that's why we're talking about this. And then I've how do I manage the little time that I do have? And I think it comes back to being out of rhythm, with I agree. nature.
2: I agree. It's it's so fascinating they um uh, the the invention of electric light had a I believe it was a 2 hour decrease in the amount of time the average human slept on a daily basis. So the average human prior to the invention of electric light slept at least 10 hours a day and I believe it went to 8. Mm. Um, and then in the 60s, you've probably heard of this study, as as uh, computers and modern technology were, and just innovation in general was developing, there was a study done um, by the government that said by the mid-80s, every human would be working on average 22 to 24 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating was, it was, that was a function of innovation. They were looking at the jobs that people were doing and say, what can we replace with innovation? And what they did not account for is a human's ability to fill time. And that we are, we are constantly, if we are constantly interpreting success by how we feel, oftentimes we will just continue to fill and fill and fill and fill. Mm-hmm. And so I think to your point, like if we think about how we were formally governed by the seasons or literally by the sun going down because we can't do the work once it's dark, then the sun was def- defining the definition of done. When the sun goes down, you stop in an, an environment where the sun doesn't stop us from work because I can open up this laptop and it will glow for me all hours of the day, the only person that can decide done is me. I'm the, literally the only person. I'm the only person that can tell my company, this is how much I can work. I'm the only person that can tell my family, this is how much I can give or not give, um, or my community or whoever. have this. And so it just, again, that's where the the meme of time boss came from of you just got to be the boss. Like someone's got to make the call and Mm -hmm. no one else is going to do it for you. That analogy I made you know with our our fictitious mentors that plan our days for us, like Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. And they don't have enough information. They have incomplete information. We have all the information about our dreams and our desires and our values and the contribution. We're the only one can make that decision of when am I done? What is enough? What is my highest sustainable pace and how can I find it? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm Yeah. I mean, if you look at yourself from the angle of being an animal, which is what we are, some more than others. Ah. (laughs) Um, You know what you're responsible for? You're responsible for getting up, breathing, not dying, eating, shitting, uh, end of day, done. Like that's what an animal does. And so now we have all these, you know, self-imposed, you know, rules of what success looks like or what accomplish, accomplishment looks like in any given day and climbing the corporate ladder, et cetera, et cetera. And you really start to see that you're chasing this carrot or you're like in 3D plane, gotta, gotta get, gotta have. And, um, and I think that that's why time becomes an enemy for us because of this three-dimensional physical plane that demands us to have. Right. And forgetting that you're an animal and that your basic needs are all you're responsible for in any given day. Right. But that, that might be too simplistic for some people because of where we are.
2: Yeah. I think what I would, where I would align with you on that is the idea that uh, it's all gravy. You know, you when you wake up in the morning with a, with a sense of, you know, for me, for me is the language that I'm fully loved, I lack nothing. That is really critical language for me. Mm-hmm. That's what, I mean, that mantra transformed 27-year-old Andrew into who I get to be today. Like really owning that and believing that. And so when you do that, everything above and beyond that becomes gravy. And everything above and beyond that just becomes contribution. And so, why would I ever like grind myself to death
1: mm-hmm.
2: in the name of contribution? I just want to find my highest sustainable pace. I want to do this as long as I can, as well as I can for as long as I can. And that will deliver the most contribution that I, Andrew, can deliver. And that's going to look different than my wife, Kelly. My kids will probably do it 10 times the amount I can with the support of who knows what technology. <laughs> but but again, I, it's that idea of I, I'm with you. I'm aligned with you on um, that. We have built structures for ourselves that drive, that create stress, fear, anxiety, sideways emotion. And you have to deconstruct that and then help people get have a a sense of wholeness and completeness as they start their day. And when they do that, they can simply contribute.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. And so basically it's like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you have your gratitude in the morning, right? Like I always say, that's amazing. I didn't die in my sleep, right? And then, then getting to this place of like, how can I best serve humanity? And with the time that I have and manage it, you know, where yep. it's not going to burn me out. Right. I wanted to
1: also um, bring into the conversation um, this issue of blue light toxicity because, Andrew, you know, you work with a, a variety of different people and whether or not they work in the tech field, a computer and screens, yeah. these are just a primary tools, yeah? Right. So, um, and it's just something that I think contributes to some of the stress around this. And I know uh, this has been a... a pretty big topic for mindful medicina lately. We did a, a, a big series on the sun and um, blue light. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to
0: ask Dr. Deniels to talk a little bit more about that, about the mm. blue light toxicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, a lot of what's going on in the world as far as anxiety, because you talked a lot about people having anxiety, Um, and, you know, being disconnected to time management. And a lot of that is coming from the blue light that is non-native blue light because we know the sun has, you know, offers blue light in the presence of red in the morning and at sunset. So what you end up having with this non-native blue light is a, uh, I always say it's a hijack of the leptin-melanocortin pathway Okay, and so what that means downstream is that people will have an increase in cortisol and a decrease in dopamine. Mm. So now you're looking at, when we talk about dopamine, we're talking about the reward system. Okay, so one thing that someone can get a dopamine hit off of is procrastination, by the way. OK, because now I've got a deadline and here's my hit. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing is also depression because, you know, this lack of dopamine. Add to that, cortisol will give you that anxiety. So you have this like increase in anxiety, increase in depression, increase, to, you know, to, to dopamine from other places in the form of addictions that, you know, this is why porn is such a big um you know problem because under the influence of blue light and you have this visual going into your eyes mm-hmm. it creates an addiction because of the decrease in dopamine so now it's like this feedback loop you're getting mm-hmm. but the point of all of that is that in your line of work you're going to come up against people who are contending with this increase in cortisol and anxiety and need for a dopamine hit. So, mm. you know, that's that's going to add some layers to what you're doing, no question yeah. about it. Right. And that, that time management, how people lose their sense of time, right? <laughs> right? And you see this when you go to casinos. Now, mm-hmm. the mobs, the mobsters knew this. They were brilliant. They knew that if you could Block all light, all sunlight, right. and then you have just blue lights, you get a decrease in dopamine you create basically you create addiction, so mm. they're giving you the alcohol. but this was a whole thought out process to create addiction and uh, and in anxiety as well while you're doing you're like spinning these machines and you' know, right. hoping for a hit right so so you're going to get people coming to you that might need to have some counsel on blue blocking for managing that anxiety mm. and that depression, right? Mm. So it's something that we're talking about a lot, as Janelle said, um, because we're interfering with our natural biochemistry, our mm. neurotransmitter production. Mm. So I just you know, want to you know, bring up that piece as you yeah. communicate with people and work with people because what you do is so novel and brilliant and this is going to help you to understand a little bit about the, the tech uh, mm. influence over yeah. the neurotransmitter output or the lack thereof in this case.
2: Mm. That's fascinating. I th- I think phone, I will affirm phone addiction is real in a significant portion of people that have gone through time boss cohorts because to your point, it's just so easy to get a hit. It's so, it's so easy to, when you feel friction to just do something else, to so open a tab on your browser, to pick up your phone, um, Mm-hmm. and so it does it does take some some pretty intense boundaries typically to help retrain someone to look at that differently.
1: and we say this in yoga um often that a, a big part of the the message of the yogic teachings too is that diminishing awareness does not decrease suffering right actually increasing and engaging takes you out of that that dorsal dysregulation numbing and into that ventral more connected. you're actually going to have. More neurotransmitters flowing, you're going to get a deeper hit from that. But it's just this, um, this because maybe the overwhelm is, has already taken over, it's just more of that kind of a people go for the numbing. Yeah. You know? So it is a, you're just training yourself like, listen, hey, what do you want in your tank?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think you, I think Janelle, you and I have shared a, an interest in Andrew Huberman. He has a great, lying on dopamine he says um you can't don't look for dopamine without doing work first he's Mm -hmm. like don't Mm -hmm. don't seek any dopamine that you didn't do work to get and it's and it's powerful and you realize why the phone is so addictive because we do no work and we get the hit that's right yeah and so to your point choosing to go the opposite path of you know what i'm going to set my phone aside i'm going to dig in here because i believe in this contribution i want to see it happen Mm. And uh, a woman in my cohort, this last cohort, she talks about when I shut my laptop at the end of the day, I feel so alive mm. because I've contributed. I've played my part and now I can go on to the rest of my life and I don't have to think about this anymore because mm. I've done my part. Mm-hmm. And I, she worked for that. Dop- she, she, mm-hmm. There's a very real dopamine hit that happens at 5.30 p.m. for her and she worked hard for it all day long to mm-hmm. get it. it wasn't her phone oh. just And work. she's going
1: to want that little treat tomorrow. Yeah,
2: she said. She's like, "Have you all tried this?
0: This is amazing!" Oh my gosh, I have to say, I totally do that. I am, um, I am someone who I'm not going to give myself that popcorn until after I do. Blah 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 blah. I literally say I have to earn everything. I mean, maybe right. to a fault, but let me tell you, it tastes better and it feels better when you have put in the work. Right. Right, and here's what's cool about that. It doesn't become an addiction. The addiction Mm -hmm. comes when you get the dopamine hit without the work.
2: Yep, you're totally right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because
0: there's, yeah, addiction versus reward. I mean, because, yeah, a a reward isn't necessarily addicting, but addiction is definitely rewarding.
2: I think you want to, you have to have your rewards align to your values, right? Mm-hmm. So so Steph is in my group. Steph's reward is aligned to her contributing to the things she believes in. And when she does that, she gets rewarded. That's amazing. She yeah. will keep doing that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, it can go sideways when the reward is not aligned to your values. If you you know, my phone my phone is actually in opposition to me. It can be aligned to my values, but most often it's just trying to distract me. And it can take me in places and give me rewards that don't actually align with my values. And so because of that, I have to have boundaries and restrictions in place because I'm not interested in that. It will ultimately keep me from the life I want to live.
0: I can give you a little trick for becoming unaddicted to your phone. If you have your phone on um, the blue blocking mode all the time and it's red, you actually don't even give a crap about picking it up. I'm telling you, you have to try it. Put it on Uh, that night shift, and you have it on the night shift all the time.
2: You'll be like, Do "Eh." do you have thoughts on black and white? I've 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 done mine where it's just so my phone is on black and white. And, and I've noticed that's made a massive difference in my interest level with it.
0: Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Makes I don't know too that. much about shifting it to black and white, uh, okay. but you definitely mm. want to get the blue out of there. So yeah. It's, yeah. A little, it's a little nice hack. If you do find yourself, yeah. re- I, I, call it, I call the cell phone a pacemaker because people can't live without it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great analogy. <laughs> so
0: I'm like, turn that thing to night shift get all the blue off of it, and you'll use it as you should be just to send a text. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, this check your messages, great. right? Like, you're yeah. not like your life's not on it. Oh, yeah.
1: this is going in the show notes. I like the stack hack of the black and white with the blue blocking. Like, this is fantastic. <laughs> and speaking yeah. of show notes, Andrew, we want to um, include in the show notes um, where we can find you. So you can, you can yeah. tell us, and then we'll put it in there. And great. then you have some things coming up. Uh, want to care to tell us about those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We just launched a digital course for Time Boss. And so it's really fun. So, uh, obviously, the cohort model is the one I love and the one I believe in, but it's not right for everyone. Uh, and the digital course is a way for in- people to experience it asynchronously. It's me on video walking them through the habits of Time Boss. And then it connects them into our digital community where they can do daily check-ins with the rest of the Time Boss community and start to get some of those reps in and start living life in a different direction related to time. So uh, digital course is exciting. There's always cohorts launching. Next one launches on October 16th, so it's coming up pretty quick. And those launch pretty much monthly, so uh, people can always jump into those. Would encourage people to follow on social. I, I talk about things like this all the time. I uh, love starting conversations online and just get people thinking about ways to approach their time differently. Mm,
1: that's fantastic. Well, bless you for your work. I, mm-hmm. Like you found your purpose, and you're helping. Your purpose is helping other people connect to their purpose yeah. and get yeah. it going.
0: And that's just just beautiful. Such a a novel thing you're doing. So thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing it. It's amazing. Uh,
2: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure, and I just I so enjoyed. Connecting with you both. And I feel like I've learned so much even about how I react to things from conversations here. So grateful for spending time with both of you. All
1: right. Andrew, oh, awesome. Go well. Enjoy the rest of your day. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: Take awesome. care. Thank you.
1: Time is on my side. Yes, it is. Yes it is You'll always say That you You want to be free But you'll come Running back
0: I hope this conversation has empowered you. Remember, you are unique and you are a miracle. Your body doesn't make mistakes. It responds perfectly to an imperfect environment. Until next time, go get that life.